I'm Andrew Junker with Roman Honeycutt. Hi. And this is why we do this. This is episode 15, and we have another director. You know, we try to have a a well-balanced spectrum of, you know, roles covered uh, on on these episodes in the show. But um, today we have Vincent Cortez, who, he's a director, but... uh, his path has been very focused on narrative and, and specifically uh, horror and and sort of suspense sci-fi work is a lot of what he really enjoys doing. It's not the only thing that he does, but it's definitely something that has been a big focus for him in his career. Um, we've known him for a long time. Yeah, uh, he's, I mean, Vincent's awesome. He's like a jack of all trades, basically. He'll... He shoots, he edits, he produces, he directs. Um, I mean, on his site, he goes by storyteller, artist, craftsman. Um, and I don't know, I've known him since college, and he was just always one of those filmmakers who is constantly making stuff. Like, always, just because it's like his passion. It's like you really feel it coming off of him when you talk to him, when you hear about him. He's just always, always working on something. So he uh, started a company called Mitchell Street Pictures that he runs with his wife, and it's out of their home. So uh, their house is basically like a functioning studio. They have like the editing suite there, they have the gear, and the whole family is constantly working on these films together. It's a really awesome, unique thing to see. I think it's in, even just in the episode he talks about the how important family yeah. is, uh, which yeah. is very very. I mean, I, I think it's really interesting. It's not something that you hear that, that we hear as often. Yeah, you, we often hear that people are trying to figure out how to balance work and life, and okay. Vincent somehow has made it one thing, and and you know his daughters are in his films. Like his daughter, his first daughter is literally kind of grown up in his films um, and uh, and the, he often has a lot of kind of family themes in his films too even if it's like horror or, or uh, sci-fi like he's he always kind of fits that in too so it really is a common theme in his life and uh, kind of like the philosophy of like why he's doing this um, and so we start the conversation with Vincent talking about uh, kind of finding and understanding his process as a director working with actors. And I remember a big um, moment for me was my very last year at State. I did a, mm-hmm. a, like, a, like a George Romero-esque zombie you know, drama, nice. right? And um, I think it was the first time that I was working with somebody that was really like well-trained mm-hmm. as the lead. And so, you know, I hadn't worked with somebody like that yet. Like everybody I had worked with was was either fairly green in a sense of like they were just kind of open to anything. You know, maybe maybe hadn't had again just that formal training, or they were just non professionals that I knew that I was comfortable with. Yeah, that could, I knew that they could do certain things. But then I was working with him, and I just remember like I remember having this feeling of being like, man, I don't I don't know. I feel uneasy about directing him or telling him something because I don't want to tell him something wrong Mm -hmm. and mess him up Hmm. and I think part of that is uh going through that process I remember there's one scene in particular where it's like it's it's like the almost climactic point of the whole movie where this guy goes outside and there's all these zombies 
everywhere and they're focused on one thing and he's going out there to basically get rid of them all, right? Yeah, yeah. And so there's a lot of intense stuff happening. And I knew what I physically wanted to see. Yeah. But again, I didn't want to like throw him off uh, because I could sense that he already knew where he had to go as a character, right? Mm -hmm. So when he finally started to ask me those types of questions, I started to just, you know, I started going in my head and I'm like, man, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? How do I convey this the right way? And, uh, you know, I remember we just kind of stepped to the side and I just said, Hon- I said, honestly, I'm, I, I trust where you're going with this character. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to, I, that's why I, t- I said, I don't want to tell you the wrong thing. Yeah. And I think right there he kind of knew like, okay, like he's, he feels uneasy, like trying to direct me, but he, and he just kind of brought it out. And I don't know, it's interesting because I think a lot of the times there's, there's enough conversation that can be had in advance about who yeah. the character is yeah. and what happens to them. Where if you trust the actor, mm-hmm. they're gonna they're gonna deliver something to you, right? So yeah. uh, you know it kind of goes without saying that it's easy to describe like a physical action, like you're gonna grab it like this, but it's it's harder to sometimes convey like how he how he or she feels about what they're actually doing. Yeah. So um, that was a good learning experience for me. I think after that, I kind of realized, all right, well, I'd I'd rather develop a lot of trust early on and in, and, and in leading on into shooting into the, before I even step on the set I want to know that they have an idea of who that character is mm-hmm. and were you were you happy with where he went with it oh yeah like in the final kind of thing yeah, yeah definitely cool. definitely like it got there and I guess that was a thing it went beyond what I probably could have told him to do I think awesome. yeah yeah so um, in a sense it kind of worked to just not yeah sort of overly do something, you know? Yeah. Um, it's like, as a director, sometimes the most important thing you can do is just stop talking. Yeah, just shut up and <laughs> let them do what they're going to do. I think that's very true, and I think that, um, yeah, again, as much conversation as you can have in advance and building a backstory together mm-hmm. and and just kind of talking through sort of the basic arc of the story, and, and then you just trust, hopefully you trust what someone's going to bring um, and if there's little things, you know, then you can step to the side and, and, and figure yeah. it out. But yeah, it's always, yeah, it's always really interesting. But I, but I do like, I guess that's the thing too. I do like to be right there. Like you'll never see me sitting in a director's chair 20 feet away or in another room with a monitor. Yeah. Like I'm always right there. And I think that's, that's been something that I've always felt is very important is to be very present with, with your actors and, and with, you know, your cinematographer or your yeah. operator. I, I've always loved that. I love that feeling of just like having your sleeves rolled up and like being yeah. like right there. If the goal of the shot is some kind of a like an action shot and something's happening, and it's like I just need to make sure we grab this one element. Yeah. But I think if it's like a full performance and there's a lot of things occurring between the characters on screen, I feel like being right there. You know, I feel sort of engaged in it. So to answer that question, yeah. I know I, you kind of got to determine it. You know, yeah. as as you see fit. And it sounds like a lot of that for you is. Like you spend a lot of time, you know, planning and, and putting this process and understanding, but really when you're on set, you've, you're, you're basing a lot of it on that feeling, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, even the most prepared I think I've ever been for a project that I'm going to direct, there is always something when we're working um, where, yes, I've made a blueprint. Maybe I, we storyboarded and, and we've worked together to figure out we need this much coverage, but then you just kind of get there and it's almost like the, the focus is to actually capture a creative energy now. It's yeah. not, you know, it's like, you know, that's why you got your production team, people to keep you on schedule and keep you organized. But I feel like once you step foot on set, it is about um, capturing that creative energy and starting mm-hmm. that communication process. Yeah. 
but that's the most exciting part of filmmaking to me is that that part right there yeah everything else you do is just to get you to that moment i think it it, it can be challenging though too because of the because of the fact that you're always fighting time mm-hmm but I, but I think uh, I also love being able to call, like you say, like a, a quarterback calls an audible and sees something on the field and is like, we have we have to change up this plan. Like the route was supposed to do this and I'm supposed to throw this, <laughs> but this dude's there and we can't, you know, we can't actually get the play. Yeah. So I actually love being able to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Like um, we don't have enough time to grab these four shots. You know, how can we turn two of these into one or how can we, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. How can we amalgamize everything we've planned to do to, and still capture the essence of the scene or... Something like that. Like that's that's that that's that problem solving. Like I love puzzles, and I think that um, you know you're on a set, it clock's ticking, and you have to make everything just work. So I, I do like that challenge. It's, yeah. a, it's an exciting challenge to have. Yeah. When you solve it too, and you like create something that that may actually be even more interesting or, or creatively fulfilling. It's like it's not just you that feels it. I feel like it's the majority of the people on set that feel like you hit that thing, you found that thing. Right? Yeah, I mean, you, you make a change and then something better again, better than you could have imagined, you know, sort of comes up from that, from having to make a split decision right then and there. Uh, but I go back to trust, you know, that's why you like trust the people you're working with. I remember, uh, what was it, with Darkness of Night, the makeup for this creature that, that we had, was um was not it didn't it didn't uh cure the right way and this was the day before shooting and the makeup artist a good friend of mine called me and he's like hey we've got a huge issue you know we're supposed to shoot tomorrow and this makeup is is not gonna work it didn't it didn't cure the right way and this was already in the evening you know and i was just like oh man so i called my wife you know who produced the film and i told her hey like we've got a huge issue you know we're supposed to be in makeup at six in the morning and you know to be ready in that afternoon and the makeups it's just it's not working out so we're gonna have to redo everything tonight and so um i said i'm I'm gonna go and help them and she said well you're gonna need help he's gonna go late so i'll help you um luckily my folks were in town and they, they were actually helping us to to shoot this film so they watched our daughter and uh and we were up all night with the makeup artist you know he's got his garage studio we show up, it must have been like 11 p.m., and we worked all the way through the night. And I remember, like, at 5 in the morning texting the actor that played the creature, you know, don't worry about getting up uh, and showing up at 6 in the morning. I'll contact you around 8 or 9, and I'll let you know what's going on. <laughs> and for a while, it was like, this is not going to happen. This Like, the makeup's not going to be ready and all this other kind of stuff. So we were there with, like, a hair dryer you know, drying this stuff and like... Are you making like a mask? We were making, yeah, we were making the prosthetics for this oh, creature. Wow. Okay, so cool. full prosthetic. So there was a mold done of the actor and everything. We had hands and a facial prosthetic yeah, yeah. that had to be redone. Oh my gosh. And so, um, you know, we're doing all this and before I know it, it's like 5.30 a.m. We had finished doing everything again and none of us had rested at all and we drove back from his studio, which is in San Leandro, back home to Oakland where we were shooting. And, uh, you know, we had built a set and everything in, in a couple days before. And we get there, and my wife and I pull up in the car, and, like, everybody's getting out of their cars with, like, a cup of coffee, like, all stretched and, like, rested. <laughs> and I looked at my wife, and, we, and, and I was like, are you ready? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, all right, let's, let's do this, right? <laughs> so we got out, and we it was crazy, and we shot. And so, I, you know, we kept texting the makeup artist throughout the day, and at a certain point in time, like, we just lost communication, but we're still shooting and yeah, we're still working. Yeah, yeah. 
And like, I'm like, oh man, well, we're going to have to, re we rearranged the schedule. You know, we had to shoot everything sort of almost in reverse order. To leave as much time as you can for the, for the monster. For the makeup. If yeah. and when Set. it was ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, at a certain point in time, I think it's lunch, and we had shot a bunch of stuff, and we still hadn't heard back anything about the makeup. And that's because I found out later, like, he was still, like, just hauling ass trying to get it finished. Yeah. We stepped away from everybody, and we went into the car. It was myself, uh, my AD, my wife, and then the actor that was playing the, the creature. And we're in there, and it's just like, okay, so if this makeup doesn't come, what is the option? Like, we you know, we either have to try to plan a reshoot, but this could be really difficult at this point in time, or we change it up, and maybe it's some other kind of creature, and it's some makeup we can do here, but yeah. the, you know, it might look cheesy. And so it was really interesting because we're all throwing ideas around, and ultimately it kind of settled on the actor just kind of saying like I'm here I'm happy to be the be whatever other monster <laughs> and then if it doesn't work and we can reshoot it you know maybe we'll have to do that and everybody kind of saying something along those lines I was feeling like crap I yeah. was stressed I was kind of disheartened yeah like yeah. oh man I was really excited yeah but to know that we were all together on the same page and that, yeah. and, and that's just that but that they believed in what we could do even if we didn't have that makeup yeah made a world of difference long story short the makeup ended up coming at the last minute we ended up having to shoot really late but it all worked out <laughs> and i think it, the most trying moments um if you just stick through it and yeah. persevere hopefully you'll end up with something fulfilling yeah and that was like the perfect example and like that was the film recently that got on el rey network and all this other kind of stuff so had i just like thrown in the towel you know it might not have ever gotten where it went so i think yeah you just got to kind of persevere especially when it comes to like the creative stuff it's it's easy to get you know disheartened and bogged down um mm -hmm. you know given the limitations of like oh well you know how am i gonna get my film out there and how am i gonna finish yeah. my film how am i gonna fund my film like all these things come up but if you've got a team of people that do all trust each other and believe in each other mm -hmm. and you and you make something you set out and you persevere i think you'll you'll hopefully you'll be happy with what you have in the end since so much of what you do is you know this narrative this creative work the challenge of that is that it can very easily fall to the wayside for whatever reason. Yeah. What's the thing that keeps you going? Balancing the work between the stuff that pays the bills and then the stuff that you just do on your own mm -hmm. in hopes that it gets out there is always hard. But I think what's always kept me going has been kind of like childlike excitement for telling a story. I think I always I connect back to the six-year-old Vincent and it's just kind of like, there's something exciting about being a storyteller yeah. and, and having people willing to listen to your story. So I think I always go back to that. It always, it always like makes me feel like it's worth like the sleepless nights where mm -hmm. it's like I might be on a project that you know I'm hired to do this or that, but it's like, okay, well, I could carve out one night where I can stay up late to do this, to do that. It makes the exhaustion worth it, you know, to, yeah. to do that. And now having kids and being able to share in that storytelling with them, mm -hmm. it's even more like exciting um, and more fulfilling, you know, because we'll watch movies together and we have like conversations. My oldest daughter's eight. And so I can see something in her like a little seed where it's like, we'll watch something and have like a really deep conversation about it. You know, what did you like about it? What didn't you like about it? So we, you know, we're starting to like analyze movies and stuff like that. So I feel like connecting to the child and connecting to an experience, this experience of like awe, yeah. I think that always makes me want to finish something. Even if the deck is stacked against me, it's just like, I, I go back to that feeling as a child. And I think you kind of have to, mm -hmm. you know, because if, the older you get, I, I know I've talked to a lot of people that of various sort of technical backgrounds that they always say like, you don't want it to become just a job and it dies. Yeah. Or like you lose sight of something. So that's important to me is not mm -hmm. letting that 
not letting that become me where it's like, oh, it's not this artistic craft, this exciting, you know, creative experience anymore. It's just kind of like it's work. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to feel like that. So I I think that's, you know, those two things right there kind of anchor me in like wanting to just kind of march forward with with our narrative stuff. I should say this. Maybe I should have said this before, but we try to be very conscious of how we pull these off. Like Mm -hmm. we. We try to shoot at least a short every year, yeah. And but then we try to shoot a sort of a bigger production short film mm-hmm. at least every two years. Okay. So something that takes more coordination, yeah. Something that takes more money in a sense. But then we also try to make it very manageable. Like mm-hmm. it's like we're gonna shoot this in two days. Yeah. We're gonna you know we can pay people for gas, but we can't pay people any day rates. I try not to hit people up for the same favor like consistently <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. to burn anybody out. Yeah. But then I also offer to help them all the time in the same way that they've helped me for for free sometimes you know yeah yeah so i try to do that because i think community is very very important it's also important to be uh, realistic with how you how you try to pull off a short film yeah and even in a sense with features that i know i've worked on with other people that i've helped produce or edit you know they they'll have a decent budget but you know it's it's hard for that budget to really cover everything all the time you know yeah. you're still asking for favors even like on under a hundred thousand dollar budget movie you still have to ask for favors yeah like the feature we did which was like really the first thing that kind of kicked us off as a company mm-hmm. that was almost in the same way that we shot our short films mm. um and we spent like less than eight thousand bucks to shoot a 90 minute like supernatural like action crime thriller and we did that in 2008 and there's a reason i haven't done that again yeah is it because because it's like I don't want to ask people to commit that much of their yeah. time for nothing, you yeah. know. So, yeah. but a short, it's like okay, we can come out for a weekend, and we could shoot it, and we can be done. Sometimes yeah. a day or whatever. So, I think making uh, uh, intelligent, if you will, decisions about how to pull it off is probably the best step to go. Because if you're not prepared, yeah, and you come in and you only got to shoot half of it, and then it takes forever to schedule everybody to shoot the other half of it, yeah, it, it's like all these obstacles just really start to pop up. You yeah. Know? It's like the thing somebody told me once, it's like uh, more of like a overstatement, but it's like 95% of all films don't get completed. But I think about that in terms of like, it's even just like thinking about a project or you get halfway through and then you can't reschedule everybody. Like I believe it to a point, you know, where it's just like there's so much that can go wrong. And so it's like when you are so focused, even though you're creating this thing that is organic and, and free and this has this energy to it, you still need to be very like diligent and also like like a little strategic in how you're putting it together yeah yeah i mean nobody wants to waste their time you know you get you asking all these people to come out and do something so i think being yeah definitely being prepared but i also think like it's good to just continue to sharpen your storytelling spear as much as you can yeah which is why I know my wife and I are just firm believers on at least once a year, even if it's not something that we actually have a budget for. And it's just like, well, let's shoot a small little thing ourselves. It's just, just to kind of stay in that, that, that rhythm of creating something. Cause yeah, it is easy to get uh, bogged down with other things, with mm-hmm. other projects. Again, like the stuff that pays the bills. But I think at the end of the day, like I always like, I'm always thinking of like, oh, this project that I, the story that I want to tell or this project that I want to do. So mm-hmm. Carving out the time to do that is very important. I'm lucky and I'm blessed because I have a um, very supportive family. Like my wife is part of the process. And recently with the past few films we've done, my daughter's been in the films and been involved. And my my mother's done catering and costumes. My father's (laughs) done production design. That's so awesome, man. So it's kind of like it had like with Mitchell Street Pictures, like it has really been like a family affair. Like it's been this family 
run company. I think that's also a big part of like the inspiration is like working with the people that you love and that you know very well to do something. And I know that that's not always a scenario for everybody. It's probably a very rare scenario, but Mm -hmm. I think while I have everybody's uh, attention and their (laughs) energy, like we're just trying to do a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. Because my father's an artist, you know, he's the one that got me into, I say, art and storytelling. And my older brother is also an artist. And I remember as kids, we used to sit around the kitchen table and draw and try to create our own stories and like comic books. And even though that wasn't something we did every day, mm-hmm. it was very special that we did it at all. I think it was like the seeds of creativity. Is there anything that you feel like you're currently trying to understand better in your process and how you tell stories? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm always just seeking to kind of improve my storytelling and I can try to break that down. I mean, I feel like, you know, first of all, I think when you approach a story, I personally feel like when the themes are at their core universal themes that connect beyond borders and even cultures in some ways and, and social economic backgrounds. Like when you're telling a story where like the thematic essence or the punch of the story is something that everyone can connect with. Mm-hmm. I think that's when you'll find that, you know, people will walk away having felt something, mm-hmm. right? So that's something I've, I've sort of had to hone in on as a writer and, and as a, just in general as a storyteller. But I think for myself, I'm always trying to find ways of having a conflict that is both real and both a threat in, in some sense to your your hero, but that doesn't feel um, conven- you know conventional or you know because you I guess that's the thing you see a lot of films with like obviously with Hollywood remakes and all so forth. Yeah. It's like everybody's now starting to tell the exact same story yeah. Yeah. over and over again. But I've heard another um, sort of thought that like every filmmaker or every storyteller they tell the same story over and over again. Mm-hmm. It just happens to have like a different backdrop with different characters. Yeah. Like there's certain themes that you as a storyteller mm-hmm. just naturally gravitate towards. I know which of those themes that I love to explore and mm-hmm. I can pick apart all of my films now and say how they're all very similar mm-hmm. thematically. Yeah, Like they tend to deal with redemption of characters and there's all these elements that like I just gravitate towards this I can't help it. Like, it's just what I gravitate towards. But I like to try to find ways of, you know, creating a conflict and having characters overcome it in a way that's not as typical. Yeah. Um, How do you do that? Like, is that a really conscious, methodical process? Like, do you go, do you tackle this moment and say, this isn't interesting enough? How do I make this more unique or whatever? Do you have a process like that? I think so. I mean, sometimes it's just, it could be as simple as just saying like, well, how would they usually, how would you usually see this end? You know, and like, probably the best example, I guess it will be a spoiler alert, but like in the feature we did for The Hush, there's this force that's pursuing the main character and he's a hitman and there's lots of action moments throughout the whole movie. And near the very end of the story, it's kind of like they're right on his trail Mm -hmm. and they, you know, they're, they're this supernatural force, but you've also seen them act in sort of action against other characters. Mm. So you know that they can possess a physical harm to our character. And what ends up happening is like right when you think there's going to be this big shootout or like fight, it's not. It's actually the character is actually just able to not be afraid anymore. Mm. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. I haven't had anybody say that that it was anticlimactic because of other circumstances that are also occurring around the same time. 
But I have had people that say, like, that was crazy. Like, I love how he just wasn't afraid and he was able to just move away from them. And the earliest version of the script, it was like, okay, he's going to have to fight them. And it's like, well, why, though? You know, it's just almost like if the story is more about a character learning to let go of fear, like, then that should be the way that he becomes better than them in some way, right? So that was a very conscious thing, though, too, because to me it was just too stereotypical that this character would have to fight the villains at the end of the movie. The word that comes to mind is supposed to. Yeah. yeah. Like, like yeah. this is where in the movie this person is supposed to fight their, you know, the yeah. bad guy, the, the big boss, you know? like Yeah. I, I always want people to be able to step away and continue to think about what they just watched. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so, you know, I, I had, again, I had a lot of people talk about that ending with me after yeah. or, or share like, oh, you know, we talked, like we left the screening and we were still putting the pieces of your puzzle together in a sense. And we were talking about that ending. So I, I think that, I don't know, I, I like I like being able to do that. Like yeah. if you wrap things up too nicely, it's just like, okay, I can, I can put my popcorn down and leave. And it's like, and never think no, about it. There's again. nothing to think about anymore. Yeah. But if there's something in there that's that you don't tie up the bow and hand them the package, then it's kind of like they're there's something that they're still exploring. Yeah. And then they get to carry that with them out out of the theater or out of the, you know. Yeah. I, I would say there's another side of that though that is the cop out, yeah. which is like <laughs> There's a, there's a, quite a few films now where they're like, and we'll just cut to black. It almost feels like it's there because they couldn't, they it, didn't yeah. know how to end it. They're not willing or, to commit to a resolution. And so yeah. therefore... The, it's easier to leave this person at uh, a crossroads yeah. without really setting up the importance of it or why we should care, yeah. you know? like the, the justification of it, I feel like, is I'm going to let the audience's imagination take it where they want to go. But I agree with you. I think that more often than not... It's like, it's no, like, you're the storyteller. Yeah. Like, like give us something. <laughs> give us something that I could then... Like, make, like, even if I said, like, oh, I, I wish it did this. Yeah. Like, I almost feel like that's better because you are hearing a story. You are getting this, like... Yeah. This opi- this yeah. you know like opinion, but also this sort of like you're being led somewhere. Yeah. And so then when they can't like, I'd be so frustrated if somebody's telling me a story and then at the very end they just walk away without finishing the last sentence. Like, <laughs> and then you're like, where are you going? Crazy. And where are you going? What's the, what's the rest of the story? It's up to you. And then you look and they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> How does the story end? Wouldn't you like to know? Yeah. They just, <laughs> they just disappear. What? Anyway, oh, I'm sorry. That so um, for you when you came to that ending, like so much of like writing for me, like before I get to any kind of like you know production or anything, it's like just the writing process. It's like when I find moments like that, and I and I hit a moment where I'm like, this is something kind of interesting and, and unique, but also a, a genuinely cool path to take the story. That's usually such a fun feeling for me you know it's like you have this kind of like little epiphany of okay i tapped into something that it was worth the worth banging my head against the wall you know for that kind of an ending was that a big moment for you yeah i mean it it, it's still the the ending still had to it still had to work for the story yeah i guess that's the thing but but i also felt like I felt like if we could visually pull that ending off Mm -hmm. because there's no dialogue or anything like that like i was like if we could visually pull this off and then the sound enhances the feeling and it you know yeah. hopefully it makes your hairs on the back of your neck stand up because of the way it's sort of feeling then then we'll have succeeded yeah that was the thing the execution of that was very important because if we wouldn't have shot it in the right way 
probably wouldn't have translated. Yeah. You know, so I think I think that, yeah, it did I, I felt very excited that we had this, but I, it, it also did present a challenge. Mm-hmm. And I do remember sending the script to one of the actresses that was in the film. Um, and she sent me back a bunch of notes, just thoughts in general yeah. uh, on the story. And I remember reading her note on that ending. Yeah. And she's like, if you can pull this off, this is going to be really interesting. Hmm. And I remember being like, okay, like that, yeah, good. Like at least someone's thinking, like, okay, yeah, this will yeah. be this will be something to see. Yeah. So I I do like that. I mean, I do like you know, again, you're you're designing something for the sake of feeling different from what you would expect or yeah. what is supposed to occur. But you also have to make sure that that uh, whatever is different, it still fits in the context of your story. Yeah. Like, it's not like at the end of the movie, aliens just were going to show up and like, beam the, <laughs> like something that's just out of left field. Like yeah. it's still, it still had to work for the story. But I feel like if I would have done some kind of an action scene and there was a fight and you were expecting it, yeah, you know, it's yeah. just like, okay, good. They had the fight that I was expecting, you yeah. know, yeah. versus just coming from a slightly different direction. Have you been in situations where you created a moment like that and it's been challenged by actors or crew being like, I don't know if we're, this is going to work. And you had to just be determined to hold on to it. Or have you ever been in that situation? I don't know if I've had it like, like fully challenged. I mean, I know with like, uh, with darkness of night, the ending that was written in the script mm-hmm. was this more conventional thing hmm. where there was a, there were more monsters after hmm. you think that, Oh, he's done. And then all of a sudden there's more monsters. It was a very different ending because it was about this brother and sister facing these monsters, right? Mm-hmm. But when we shot uh, the weekend before, and we shot this in chronology because the main character is a kid actor and this was his first movie. Mm-hmm. There's a scene early in the story where there's another sort of monster, almost like the domestic violence, if you will, that mm-hmm. this, these kids live in. And, you know, you see that the mother is in a very hostile situation trying to protect her kids. And I remember doing the scene. She comes and she sits down and the kids are there. And because of the way that the actress played that, Mm. I realized right then and there that this was a story about her as much as it was about him. Mm -hmm. And they're both dealing with monsters. So we actually, the day of shooting, we basically rewrote the ending of the Mm. movie that morning while we were getting set up. So I hadn't gotten any sleep from the makeup thing. And I get there and I get there and I'm talking to the actress and we're reading it and I'm, I'm kind of looking at it and my, my wife and I are thinking about it. And it just was like, it just, it's not gonna work if we do this that way because people are gonna walk out of seeing this movie and they're gonna feel like something is missing. Yeah. yeah. And so even though the mother comes back at the end of the story in the original scripted ending, there was no real connection there anymore. Like there was yeah. something sort of broken by that yeah. scripted ending. And so we, we decided to integrate her in. So she had new lines that she had to learn that morning, but very simple, like very, yeah. very subtle. It goes to this thing of like by this kid, quote unquote, defeating his monster, he's able to finally address domestic violence with his with his mother mm-hmm. he doesn't use those terms and he doesn't even really dive much into it yeah but the fact that he's able to finally voice his opinion to his mother there was something there it was really interesting because it's not like she goes okay you know what you're right let's leave and yeah. they leave she just acknowledges that there is a problem it's the start of the it's the start of yeah. what could happen yeah. later yeah. yeah and so that was interesting too because i remember having people watch that film and say like oh i i felt I was a little bothered because I, you know, I, I wish that they would have left the abusive home. 
Hmm. And it's like, maybe they will, you know, yeah. but at yeah. least at least they're finally acknowledging that this is not a healthy environment. It's, yeah. in some ways, and it's done with very sparse dialogue. Yeah. It's more visual. I think those are the types of things. And, and so not that anyone necessarily challenged it when we were going to shoot it. Yeah. But I feel like we did have conversations about what the original ending would do. Yeah. And in that conversation, it just it just became apparent like yeah. we need a different ending. Do you think the the sleep deprivation helped <laughs> helped you find that or? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I don't know. It's actually kind of funny because I I think I think so. Like I I didn't feel tired until I was driving. I, I, we yeah. drove yeah. until it's all done. Until it was all done. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it all just hits you. Yeah, it yeah. all hits you at the very end. And this yeah. one was pretty yeah. brutal because it was forty eight hours of being awake. <sighs> Oof. And Jesse, who, uh, who Jesse Dana, who shot the film, who's a good buddy, I had said, oh, Jesse, well, let me help you take some of your gear back. <laughs> so I drove to SF because at that time he had oh, this, he had this storage, storage area. locker. Yeah. And so we, uh, which is like a big shipping crate at that mm-hmm. time. So we just, we went out there and I was driving home and like my eyes got really heavy yeah. on the bridge. And I was like, oh man, like I sh- <laughs> but you know. He was helping me out, so I had to help him back and make it easier for him. So, yeah, there's there's so many challenges to being on a on a film set, though. I yeah, mean, just physical challenges, mental challenges, emotional challenges. Like, there's yeah. always it's always something. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's never gonna be easy. It's never gonna be easy. And if it was easy, it would be like I don't know if it would be as exciting if it was that easy. Yeah, uh, I have kind of a very interviewee question. So, just knowing you for years, I know you've been just making movies forever and it seems like it was definitely instilled in you in a very young age i guess what are some of the movies that kind of sparked more than just like oh i like that movie it was definitely like i could do this or yeah there's a there's a handful of movies that i'll say i mean i think um and first and foremost the earliest film memories i have aren't actually going to a theater yeah and seeing somebody's movies but actually seeing uh these films that my godfather created I remember him setting up his projector and pulling out his film reels. And I must have been five. And I remember um, he was showing me these stop motion movies he made on film. Oh, cool. With like clay characters mm. and toys and like all this kind of stuff. So those are my earliest memories. So that's something really that's cool. something that somebody else made that I knew that was in the room with me. Yeah. And I had seen TV and movies up until that point. Yeah. But there was something about seeing a movie that somebody I loved had made that yep. was right there with me. Yeah. Talking about it and being blown away, you know, because that must have been like 88, 89, somewhere around then. Yeah. You know, just being enthralled with like looking at him and looking at the movie that he had made. That's really cool. And spending, you know, some afternoons and evenings, you know, he would block the windows out at, at my grandmother's house and like put up this sheet and then set up the projector. That was probably the most inspiring sort of stuff and I, it's been a while since I've seen those movies but I just I feel like this really deep connection to that experience mm-hmm. but then other films I remember um, there was an animated short film called The Sandman directed by uh, this guy named Paul Barry mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it you should look at it it's awesome I remember seeing that at the Berkeley Animation Festival when I was mm. like a few years older than you know that I was probably like seven or something and I remember going in there and it's this really creepy atmospheric animated stylized thing so it's like basically this little boy that that's going to go to sleep and the the sandman like is kind of stalking him and hunting him down and the style is amazing visually um engaging 
I remember like feeling everything watching that movie. Like mm-hmm. I remember feeling really scared for the character and like mm-hmm. really terrified and really sad and really happy in certain moments. That's an early memory. And you know, seeing it on screen and everything like yeah. that was even more sort of powerful. I could definitely see that movie having an effect on Oh, the movies you're making. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, definitely. Def- yeah, for sure. And and I think that's the thing is that like when I made Darkness of Night, Darkness of Night was almost like my answer to that nice. movie. Yeah. For years and years and years, that movie wasn't visible anywhere. Mm. Um, but I had the whole movie in my head. Like literally, like when I finally saw it, found it again online, I almost remembered every cut in that movie mm. and every shot. It, it yeah. had ingrained itself that yeah. much into me. Yeah. <laughs> I talked to Jesse about this a long time ago, and I thought it was really interesting. Like, so your daughter has kind of been raised in this, like, like behind the scenes of like the horror world yeah <laughs> and, and I it like growing up in these like like monster movies and seeing it as a behind the scenes process and that there's makeup involved and all this stuff and like her kind of first not fully being aware of what that you're making movies and then as time goes on she's growing up in this sort of like movie world just talk about that a little bit because I think that's well, really fascinating and yeah cool. I mean let me see I can say uh, that she's definitely, like, making movies is normal to her. Yeah. It is a normal thing. Because <laughs> she's, she's seen it and she's been a part of it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the first time she was in a movie was uh, the sci-fi film Romer that we did. We shot it a week before she turned two. And um, she plays an important role in the film. We had her sit there and watch this actor, the actor that played sort of this main supporting role, being made up in this mm-hmm. kind of almost grotesque, you know, infected sort of look. And the story, he's like a good character. He's mm-hmm. like a just character. He looks kind of hideous and scary. And so I remember she's sitting there and she was watching it and she saw the whole process. Mm-hmm. And she was really engaged with the makeup process. And so when we got on set, she wasn't scared of him. <laughs> you know That's what I mean? Really, yeah. And so, um, and he, this was, uh, a lot of it too was him and his personality. Because he's a very warm and gentle person in real life. Yeah. And so him being able to, to be that way with the character mm-hmm. on and off screen was yeah. very helpful. Mm-hmm. We shot the scene. I kind of almost in a sense had to trick her into performing or to, into acting. Yeah. I was off screen and I was her eye line. Mm-hmm. And so I would do things to get her to move or say, or kind of say something or, or kind of act in a certain way. I had to do that. And, you know, it was, it was cool. And, and in the end, we had like lots of little bits that we could choose from, from her stuff. And it worked out really well. And two years later, we made another movie. Mm-hmm. which was Darkness of Night. And there's a scene where the mother has to sit down and there's a lot of trauma that she just went through and the kids are right there. And we shot Valerie's coverage first, my daughter's coverage first. And I was like, well, it's all wrapped up, you know, if you want to go home, you know, because that's what we had done on Romer. It was like, let's yeah. shoot all this stuff with her and then get her yeah, off the yeah, set yeah. Yeah. so she doesn't get, you know, d- distracting or, or, yeah. or, you know, just bored. I remember saying, oh, if you, do you want to go home? You could, you could go home, you can play, you're all finished. And she was like, no, I want to stay here. And I was like, but we finished filming with you. The camera's not going to see you anymore. And she was like, I know, but I, I still want to be here. <laughs> so she she sat there and she hit all her little beats and did every little thing that she mm. did in all her previous takes, even though she knew the camera wasn't on her. Oh, that's And awesome. I remember stepping away and being like, oh, man, what did I do? <laughs> and, but she, she enjoyed it. She yeah. really enjoyed it. And then two years after that, we shot the dad film that's just about done now. And same experience, except mm. now it's, she had she really became this character. Mm. 
I was really nervous because, you know, obviously she's a kid and she didn't really want to rehearse. But what I did was I went with her and the, and the other, um, you know, main character who was going to play her father. We would go on hikes together. About a month leading up to the shoot, he would hang out a lot with us. And in some ways, he's observing my interaction with her as a father. Yeah. You know, he came from a, from a big family as well, so he had stuff to draw on. But then just going and, and allowing them to spend time together was That's really important. Really, really cool. yeah. Yeah. So that there was something there, some, yeah. some yeah. kind of connection. And so when we shot the film, something just clicked and mm -hmm. connected. And she just really turned into this girl in the yeah. story. And that girl has a very different set of experiences from my actual daughter. Yeah. But I feel like just because of the fact that we engage in a lot of movie watching and yeah. discussion and uh, and making movies i feel like she was just able to there was just like a, a switch that yeah. she just uh, like at a certain yeah. point she just kind of gently turned it on yeah you know really cool, and, and 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 she just became the character and so like i remember shooting the ending and just getting really emotional seeing her and him interacting because mm -hmm, yeah. it felt it just felt very real yeah yeah so yeah, I mean, and but that's the other thing too. She's not scared of stuff because she's seen like horror movies and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So um, there's like this subconscious. All right, all right honey, the, that, yeah. the hand is gonna come out of the torso now. Yeah, just like all right. <laughs> well, that's well, that's that's actually the the funniest thing is that I've taught her how to read the language of horror movies. Like she's learned how to know when a jump scare is yep. probably gonna occur. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like watch, they're yeah. gonna misdirect you. They're going to make her look into the closet and then there's nothing there and she's going to close, close the closet the and the right thing's there, right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, and now she's like there and she's like, oh, and she's like, oh, I knew it was going to happen, Dad, but it still yeah. kind of scared me. And it's like, hey, it's cool. It's, it's supposed to do that. Yeah. And a lot of it is like, I'll tell her, a lot of it is a sound. Yeah. Plug your ears and watch it and it won't be scary. Yeah. Hmm. So it's kind of funny because I've been able to sort of teach her how a lot of these yeah. things are, are constructed and she's seen it but yeah i mean it's really it's cool and I, and it's like i'll offer the opportunity as long as she's interested and yeah. then if for some reason she's just like i don't i don't i don't, I don't think i want to be in it yeah totally cool you never want to push it yeah yeah, yeah. well because then you burn somebody out <laughs> you know i feel like there's that that responsibility of like making sure that that you're not forcing this sort of you know like role or profession or you know whatever on you know her as she grows up and yeah. it's like do you ever think about that in terms of like like her being in the same sort of like line of work versus doing her own thing as she grows up i um yeah i mean i i think it's to me it's it's um i was able to get into what i'm into now because my parents uh, like presented creative things mm -hmm. and never limited us as far as like well, you could do this as a hobby, but you can't professionally do this. Like, I never had that mm -hmm. happen, ever. And so I sort of attempt to be the same way. So I encourage her with creative and art things, be them film or not. Yeah. Um, but I'm all for, if she's passionate, to sort of pursue it. Mm -hmm. But I feel like, again, that's that's a big part of why I'm sort of the filmmaker that I feel like I am now is because I've had that, that gift. Mm -hmm is if you like doing this, you know, continue to do it. But be realistic about how you can actually sustain yourself. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on here, Vincent. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, that was really fun. So that's our show. Thank you again to Vincent Cortez for being on the show. Yeah, it was really awesome talking to him. Uh, we should mention that he's got a new short film um, that is uh, coming out called Dad that French Press actually co-produced. Um, we're really, really stoked to do that with him. Um, and yeah, he's worked on um, I mean, a variety of stuff. He's got a new doc that he just finished called Finding Justice um, that he directed and produced. And he's got, you know, tons of shorts and you can see all of that stuff on uh, mitchellstreetpictures.com. 
And now uh, we have our epilogue, which is just madness. Uh, we start with uh, this rant, ramble, started uh, when we were just talking about the origin of the Candyman. The Candyman from the movie. The from the series film. Candyman. Yeah. <laughs> so, enjoy. What if the Candyman is just like, you call him because he like... Like, he's like a accountant, or he's a janitor, or he's a like. You just call the Candyman. You have like a mess you need to like clean up or something. (laughs) He just goes. Hold on, I got. You just go to your mirror and go Candyman, Candyman, Candyman. He shows up. Hey, how's it going? Well, we got this spill over here. Mop made of red vines. (laughs) Why is he still made of? I mean, why would? Wait, 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 wait. So if you have a problem. You just look he's at the mirror. He's a fixer. You just call the candyman. He's like, he's like, it's like the professional. I mean, the mirror is now just a phone. Wait, does the candyman? It's like a phone. Does book. the candyman come out of the mirror? No, he does. He like gets summoned, and, and then he, he just climbs. It's out like of that the thing mirror? where you like go and you go Bloody Mary, Bloody no, I know. Mary, yeah. Bloody Mary, and then Bloody Mary appears. And let me tell you, that shit doesn't fucking work. It's not true. <laughs> I've tried it so many times. Well, I think also the pr- the premise of that is that she's in the mirror. Like, well, candyman. you're summoning a can- candyman's in the mirror. You get summoned. Does he like climb out? I, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like the movie. He gets. Fucking, I haven't seen it. It's stupid. People are still terrified. As grown ass people, you go, you fucking say Candyman, like what? Is, like a fucking demon's gonna jump through and cut your head off? Can you imagine? Like you came here one day and I was just dead. My head was cut off. Would you immediately be like, he must have said Bloody Mary, <laughs> <laughs> or did he piss off ISIS of, on are Twitter? You, are you in front of a mirror? Yeah. <laughs> like, like that's so stupid. Nobody thinks that. Oh my god, he, he fucking said Bloody Mary. <laughs> Piss off the candy What happened here, officer? Well, he clearly looked in this mirror and said Bloody Mary three times. <laughs> <laughs> Got his head cut off. What about declaring jihad on solve. the internet? Case solved. Why is it either Bloody Mary or a terrorist? That's why why, it just does. It why can't it be just a person? What happens if you say there's no mirror? Does it just not matter? Well... No, I guess you're just, I mean, yeah, it's like, not even that, like a... they go to a restaurant and you go, hey, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody, <laughs> Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, there's like, there's like an old like Irish priest there, he's like, don't say it, I'll have a Bloody Mary, and the fucking hand comes out and like pulls him into hell, Bloody Mary, Irish, like this old priest, don't say it, Right, bloody Just throwing Mary like holy water at people. <laughs> oh man! Then somebody walks out and he's going like, to brunches. <laughs> Stop it! Bloody Mary! Bloody Mary! Bloody Mary! Wait, don't wait. Can any people say it three times? Or That's what the I'm, same I'm like person? trying to figure. Like, how did this fucking stupid shit even? Start? It has to be the same person to say it three times. Well, oh, so it's like, okay, so you guys want Bloody Mary? Bloody Mary? Bloody Mary? <laughs> <laughs> And then everybody keeps going, Bloody Mary, and then they die. Bloody Mary? Blo- they just explode? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't Bloody, isn't Bloody Mary like a ghost who shows up and kills you? Yeah, but I mean, maybe she blows you up. <laughs> Does she blow you up from the inside like a Mortal Kombat fatality? Yes. <laughs> Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary, fatality. Bloody Mary. They just explode, and she's like, ah, Bloody Mary wins. Fatality. Wait, all of a sudden you're, you're at this restaurant, and then it just turns into a Mortal Kombat arena? Yeah. <laughs> There's all these monks in the background watching you. <laughs> Shang Tsung's on a throne. So the Bloody Mary is a folklore legend. But I yes, thought, of course it is. I thought the Drake Thanks. came first. Yes. You thought the, came, the Drake came first? <laughs> <laughs> they named her after the beverage. Because if you have three... Three of them. Three of them will kill you. 
don't order three Bloody Marys. I like the guy going, Bloody Mary, Bloody yeah. Mary, Bloody Mary, and then he just <laughs> fucking gets pulled into hell. <laughs> and Bloody Mary just shows up and starts killing people. Just like, like Max von Saito is there at brunch, fucking freaking out and trying to get the... You have to order the mimosas! <laughs> Mimosa, mimosa, mimosa. Ah. <laughs> mimosa shows up. <laughs> I am mimosa. Is this mimosa like a, like a golem or something? This brunch is just filled with demons. <laughs> demons Bloody named Mary's after... just hanging out, eating everyone's omelets. Demons named after brunch cocktails. <laughs> I am Greyhound. <laughs> just a Greyhound driver. <laughs> you order three Greyhounds and the bus shows up. The bus, runs bus plows through the fucking room. Get in, no time to explain. Why is he trying to take people away? He takes them to the underworld. Get in, there's no time to explain. People just we're going, everybody just goes in, he's like, we're going to hell. <laughs> he just pulls the thing and the, the sign says hell. And they're all like, no. Everybody's just pulling on the, the strings to stop it. No. No stops on this bus. <laughs> <laughs> Taking the charter Come bus. Come on to hell. in, there's no time to explain. <laughs> Everybody just runs. Wait, does the bus wait, does the they bus like, like crash works every time? The... Yeah, because everyone's just, just like, alright, weird... we'll get in. It's a yeah. weird brunch where if they order if they say a different drink three times, the ghost shows up. Wait, so, wait, so wait, wait is order, it a restaurant? Say, yes. yes. Except wouldn't you like nobody is like or, nobody's eating it's, or drinking? It's, a, it's it's opening day. It's just a, of, yeah, it's of just a restaurant on a on an ancient Indian burial ground. <laughs> they, they so wait, Greyhound, Greyhound, Greyhound. <laughs> summons the bus. The bus that plows through the building. It takes the, you to hell. The Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, self-explanatory. Yeah, you don't mimosa. Need to explain that. Mimosa, mimosa, mimosa. Summons mimosa, who I don't know who it's that a is. Demon. Mimosa the demon sounds pretty terrifying. <laughs> mimosa. I am mimosa. Oh, it sounds <laughs> right. Right. So there's, what other breakfast cocktails are there? I feel like you just order any cocktail at breakfast, though. I mean, yeah, Those are the main if you're a, like, <laughs> If you're an alcoholic, I'll have a Mai Tai and pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> I have Mai Tai. I'll have a Long Island iced tea. At a walk. I'll have an adios, motherfucker, and a bowl of oatmeal. (laughs) (laughs) Just getting super fucking wasted eating oatmeal. Oh. Oh, God. Who the fuck orders adios, motherfucker? I guess... I don't even know what that is. It's it's a Long Island iced tea. It's an AMF. You go, I want an AMF. Yeah, it's every alcohol. It's like For whatever reason, it's usually like like bright blue. order and it's like if you don't know how to, I mean I had friends that would like drink them yeah I mean, or they would like go to bars and get shit that was like on fire like I want a flaming Dr. Pepper I'm like dude the fuck is wrong with you don't so get that shit wait a fl- like, is a flaming Dr. Pepper does it have alcohol in it or is it yeah, just yeah yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It tastes no it's like just Dr. a Dr. Pepper that's on fire Ugh. yeah it's it's, it's uh, just a it's a drink that's on fire that tastes like Dr. Pepper yeah I've never had it who the fuck would yeah it's stupid I'm trying to there was one time I got like a flaming drink. And My friends, like, so like there's bar restaurants that serve flaming drinks, and then of course, like someone set something on fire. <laughs> that was yeah. the end of it. <laughs> the fucking bartender turns around, and half of his face is just What's gone. Like, oh, oh, <laughs> Harvey, what kind of drink do you want? Whichever one we got two options: that, beer or whiskey. <laughs> yeah, you had two choices. <laughs> Looks like you're having whiskey. Beer, the thing that <laughs> shoots you. <laughs> How'd you get that, Harvey? Flaming Dr. Pepper and Batman. <laughs> and Batman? Batman comes down and orders a flaming Dr. Dr. Pepper, Pepper and then beats the shit out of him. <laughs> what? How did his face catch on fire? <laughs> what? 
ordered a flaming Dr. Pepper to this bartender, and he's like, yeah, no, all right, it's kind of a pain in the ass, but I'll make it for you. And he starts making bets, beating the shit out of him, and then throws the drink in his face. That's, that's how Two-Face got made. So Two-Face is actually just like... Is that, is that like Harvey's place? Two-Face. <laughs> Two Face is just a nice bartender who got like the shit kicked out of him. Was it Bruce Batman? Wayne or Batman? No, it was Batman. Batman walks in, orders a drink. Yeah, love a flaming Dr. Pepper. He's like, well, okay. It's your 21st birthday. Oh, God! Batman's beating the shit out of him. Throws the drink in his face. Everyone's like, Harvey, oh, God! Place goes up in flames. And then he rebuilt it as Two Face. As Two Face. And so the place is called like Two Face, and it's like half of it's all dark. The and place half is of called Two Face. Yeah, Two Face. Half of it's all burned down, and half of it's all nice. He has to stand in the middle at all times. <laughs> Which side do you want? It's always like, and he just serves beer or whiskey. Yeah, because he doesn't want to make any more mixed drinks. <laughs> Batman's just the One side of the bar is beer, the other man. side is liquor. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just, just whiskey. Just, just whiskey. <laughs> whiskey it is. He's got two coins as two, like... He's the host, side. you come it's in. It's a car wash <laughs> token. <laughs> Why is it a car wash token? Because <laughs> that's all he's got. <laughs> when Harvey Dent was in the car wash... And then he left the window down when the hot water sprays him. <laughs> Fucking acid burned all over. What kind of car wash is this? <laughs> Batman's car wash. Why, why is it just Batman? Batman's always responsible. Well, he's got to be mad at Batman. Wait, 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 wait. What is, what is Batman opening business? Bruce I Wayne. Mean, Bruce I found the perfect he's trap. An entrepreneur. No, I, found this, money. Money. I found the perfect trap to trap these villains. Just get their cars really dirty, and then we'll open a car wash. You call Batman's There's no water car in the wash. car. Call it Batman's car wash. <laughs> It just sprays acid. And there's no, there's no water in there. It's just acid. <coughs> Alfred's like, I think so that's all Bat- like a terrible idea. All Batman does late at night is he just goes and just gets villains' cars <laughs> dirty. Yeah, that's good. Just rubs like mud all over their cars, all over their like the Joker mobile or whatever the fuck, and then just breaks their windows so they can't roll them, roll them up. I don't know. This doesn't make any more sense. <laughs> Batman's it totally makes sense at the beginning. It's like Batman like coming him. into Harvey's place, beating the shit out of him for no reason, and throwing a flaming Dr. Pepper on half of his face. 